Part two, chapter two of the Fur Country. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fur Country by Jules Verne. Part two, chapter two. Where are we? It was necessary carefully to study the unexpected and novel situation in which the agents of the company now found themselves and hobson did so with his chart before him he could not ascertain the longitude of victoria island the original name being retained until the next day and the latitude had already been taken for the longitude the altitude of the sun must be ascertained before and after noon and two hours angles must be measured at two o'clock p m hobson and black took the height of the sun above the horizon with the sextant and they hoped to recommence the same operation the next morning towards ten o'clock a m so as to be able to infer from the two altitudes obtained the exact point of the arctic ocean then occupied by their island the party did not however at once return to the fort but remained talking together for some little time on the promontory madge declared she was quite resigned and evidently thought only of her mistress at whom she could not look without emotion she could not bear to think of the sufferings and trials her dear girl might have to go through in the future. She was ready to lay down her life for Paulina, but what good could that do now? She knew, however, that Mrs. Barnett was not a woman to sink under her misfortunes, and indeed at present there was really no need for any one to despair. There was no immediate danger to be dreaded, and a catastrophe might even yet be avoided. This Hobson carefully explained to his companions. Two dangers threatened the island floating along the coast of North America, only two. It could be drawn by the currents of the open sea to the high polar latitudes from which there is no return. Or the current could take it to the south, perhaps through the Bering Strait into the Pacific Ocean. In the former contingency the colonists, shut in by ice and surrounded by impassable icebergs, would have no means of communication with their fellow-creatures, and would die of cold and hunger in the solitudes of the north. In the latter contingency, Victoria Island, driven by the currents to the western waters of the Pacific, would gradually melt and go to pieces beneath the feet of its inhabitants. In either case, death would await the lieutenant and his companions and the fort erected at the cost of so much labour and suffering would be destroyed but it was scarcely probable that either of these events would happen the season was already considerably advanced and in less than three months the sea would again be rendered motionless by the icy hand of the polar winter the ocean would again be converted into an ice-field and by means of sledges they might get to the nearest land the coast of russian america if the island remained in the east, or the coast of Asia, if it were driven to the west. For, added Hobson, we have absolutely no control over our floating island. Having no sail to hoist, as in a boat, we cannot guide it in the least. Where it takes us, we must go. All that Hobson said was clear, concise, and to the point. There could be no doubt that the bitter cold of winter would solder Victoria Island to the vast ice-field, and it was highly probable that it would drift neither too far north nor too far south. To have crossed a few hundred miles of ice was no such terrible prospect, for brave and resolute men 
accustomed to long excursions in the Arctic regions. It would be necessary, it was true, to abandon Fort Hope, the object of so many hopes, and to lose the benefit of all their exertions. But what of that? The factory, built upon a shifting soil, could be of no further use to the company. Sooner or later it would be swallowed up by the ocean. And what was the good of useless regrets? It must therefore be deserted as soon as circumstances should permit. The only thing against the safety of the colonists was, and the lieutenant dwelt long on this point, that during the eight or nine weeks which must elapse before the solidification of the Arctic Ocean, Victoria Island might be dragged too far north or south. Arctic explorers had often told of pieces of ice being drifted an immense distance without any possibility of stopping them. Everything, then, depended on the force and direction of the currents from the opening of Bering Strait, and it would be necessary carefully to ascertain all that a chart of the Arctic Ocean could tell. Hobson had such a chart, and invited all who were with him on the Cape to come to his room and look at it. But before going down to the fort, he once more urged upon them the necessity of keeping their situation a secret. "'It is not yet desperate,' he said, "'and it is therefore quite unnecessary to damp the spirits of our comrades, "'who will perhaps not be able to understand, as we do, "'all the chances in our favour. "'Would it not be prudent to build a boat large enough to hold us all "'and strong enough to carry us a few hundred miles over the sea?' "'observed Mrs. Barnett. "'It would be prudent, certainly,' said Hobson, and we will do it, I must think, of some pretext for beginning the work at once, and give the necessary orders to the head carpenter. But taking to a boat can only be a forlorn hope, when everything else has failed. We must try all we can to avoid being on the island when the ice breaks up, and we must make for the mainland as soon as ever the sea is frozen over. Hobson was right. It would take about three months to build a thirty- or thirty-five-ton vessel, and the sea would not be open when it was finished. It would be very dangerous to embark the whole party when the ice was breaking up all round, and he would be well out of his difficulties if he could get across the ice to firm ground before the next thaw set in. This was why Hobson thought a boat a forlorn hope, a desperate makeshift, and everyone agreed with him. Secrecy was once more promised, for it was felt that Hobson was the best judge of the matter, and a few minutes later the five conspirators were seated together in the large room of Fort Hope, which was then deserted, eagerly examining an excellent map of the oceanic and atmospheric currents of the Arctic Ocean, special attention being naturally given to that part of the polar sea between Cape Bathurst and Bering Strait. Two principal currents divide the dangerous latitudes, comprehended between the polar circle and the imperfectly known zone, called the Northwest Passage, since McClure's daring discovery. At least only two have been hitherto noticed by marine surveyors. One is called the Kamchukta Current. It takes its rise in the offing outside the peninsula of that name, follows the coast of Asia, and passes through Bering Strait, touching Cape East, a promontory of Siberia. After running due north for about six hundred miles from the strait, it turns suddenly to the east, pretty nearly following the same parallel as McClure's passage, 
and probably doing much to keep that communication open for a few months in the warm season. The other current, called Bering Current, flows just the other way. After running from east to west at about a hundred miles at the most from the coast, it comes into collision, so to speak, with the Kamchatka Current at the opening of the strait, and turning to the south approaches the shores of Russian America, crosses Bering Sea, and finally breaks on the kind of circular dam formed by the Aleutian Islands. Hobson's map gave a very exact summary of the most recent nautical observations, so that it could be relied on. The lieutenant examined it carefully before speaking, and then, pressing his hand to his head, as if oppressed by some sad presentiment, he observed, "'Let us hope that the fate will not take us to remote northern latitudes. Our wandering island would run a risk of never returning.' "'Why, lieutenant?' broke in Mrs. Barnett. "'Why, madam,' replied Hobson, "'look well at this part of the Arctic Ocean, and you will readily understand why. Two currents, both dangerous for us, run opposite ways. When they meet, the island must necessarily become stationary, and that at a great distance from any land. At that point it will have to remain for the winter, and when the next thaw sets in, it will either follow the Kamchatka current to the deserted regions of the northwest or it will float down with the bearing current to be swallowed up by the Pacific Ocean. "'That will not happen, Lieutenant,' said Madge, in a tone of earnest conviction. "'God would never permit that.' "'I can't make out,' said Mrs. Barnett, "'whereabouts in the polar sea we are at this moment, for I see but one current from the offing of Cape Bathurst, which bears directly to the northwest, and that is the dangerous Kamchatka current.' Are you not afraid that it has us in its fatal embrace, and is carrying us with it to the shores of North Georgia? I think not, replied Hobson, after a moment's reflection. Why not? Because it is a very rapid current, madam, and if we had been following it for three months, we should have had some land in sight by this time, and there is none, absolutely none. Where, then, do you suppose we are? inquired Mrs. Barnett. "'most likely between the Kamchatka current and the coast, "'perhaps in some vast eddy unmarked upon the map.' "'That cannot be, Lieutenant,' replied Mrs. Barnett quickly. "'Why not, madam, why not?' "'Because, if Victoria Island were in an eddy, "'it would have veered round to a certain extent, "'and our position with regard to the cardinal points "'would have changed in the last three months, "'which is certainly not the case.' "'You are right, madam, you are quite right.' The only explanation I can think of is that there is some other current not marked on our map. Oh, that tomorrow we're here, that I might find out our longitude. Really, this uncertainty is terrible. Tomorrow will come, observed Madge. There is nothing to do but wait. The party, therefore separated, all returning to their ordinary occupations. Sergeant Long informed his comrades that the departure for Fort Reliance, fixed for the next day, was put off. He gave his reasons that the season was too far advanced to get to the southern factory before the great cold set in, that the astronomer was anxious to complete his meteorological observations, and would therefore submit to another winter in the north, that game was so plentiful, provisions from Fort Reliance were not needed, etc., etc. But about all these matters the brave fellows cared little. Lieutenant Hobson ordered his men to spare the furred animals in future, and only to kill edible game, 
so as to lay up fresh stores for the coming winter. He also forbade them to go more than two miles from the fort, not wishing Marbre and Sabine to come suddenly upon a sea horizon, where the isthmus connecting the peninsula of Victoria with the mainland was visible a few months before. The disappearance of the neck of land would inevitably have betrayed everything. The day appeared endless to Lieutenant Hobson. Again and again he returned to Cape Bathurst, either alone or accompanied by Mrs. Barnett. The latter, inured to danger, showed no fear. She even joked the lieutenant about his floating island being perhaps, after all, the proper conveyance for going to the North Pole. With favourable current might they not reach that hitherto inaccessible point of the globe? Lieutenant Hobson shook his head as he listened to his companion's fancy, and kept his eyes fixed upon the horizon, hoping to catch a glimpse of some land, no matter what, in the distance. But no, sea and sky met in an absolutely unbroken circular line, confirming Hobson's opinion that Victoria Island was drifting to the west rather than in any other direction. Lieutenant, at last, said Mrs. Barnett, don't you mean to make a tour of our island as soon as possible? Yes, madam, of course, as soon as I have taken our bearings, I mean to ascertain the form and extent of our dominions. It seems, however, that the fracture was made at the isthmus itself, so that the whole peninsula has become an island. A strange destiny is ours, lieutenant, said Mrs. Barnett. Others return from their travels to add new districts to geographical maps but we shall have to efface the supposed peninsula of Victoria. The next day, July 18th, the sky was very clear, and at ten o'clock in the morning Hobson obtained a satisfactory altitude of the sun, and comparing it with that of the observation of the day before, he ascertained exactly the longitude in which they were. The island was then in 157 degrees, 37 minutes longitude, west from Greenwich. The latitude, obtained the day before at noon, almost immediately after eclipse, was, as we know, 73 degrees, 7 minutes, 20 seconds north. The spot was looked out on the map in the presence of Mrs. Barnett and Sergeant Long. It was indeed a most anxious moment, and the following result was arrived at. The wandering island was moving in a westerly direction, borne along by a current unmarked on the chart, and unknown to hydrographers, which was evidently carrying it towards Bering Strait. All the dangers foreseen by Hobson were then imminent, if Victoria Island did not again touch the mainland before the winter. "'But how far are we from the American continent? That is the most important point, just at present,' said Mrs. Barnett. Hobson took his compasses, and carefully measured the narrowest part of the sea between the coast and the seventieth parallel. We are actually more than two hundred and fifty miles from Point Barrow, the northernmost extremity of Russian America, he replied. We ought to know, then, how many miles the island has drifted since it left the mainland, said Sergeant Long. Seven hundred miles at least, replied Hobson, after having again consulted the chart. "'And at what time do you suppose the drifting commenced?' "'Most likely, towards the end of April. "'The ice-field broke up then, "'and the icebergs which escaped melting "'drew back to the north, 
We may therefore conclude that Victoria Island has been moving along with the current parallel with the coast at an average rate of ten miles a day. No very rapid pace, after all, exclaimed Mrs. Barnett. Too fast, madam, when you think where we may be taken during the two months in which the sea will remain open in this part of the Arctic Ocean. The three friends remained silent, and looked fixedly at the chart of the fearful polar regions, towards which they were being irresistibly drawn, and which have hitherto successfully resisted all attempts to explore them. "'There is nothing, then, nothing to be done, nothing to try?' said Mrs. Barnett, after a pause. "'Nothing, madam,' replied Hobson, "'nothing whatever. We must wait.' We must all pray for the speedy arrival of the Arctic winter, generally so much dreaded by our sailors, but which alone can save us now. The winter will bring ice, our only anchor of salvation, the only power which can arrest the course of this wandering island. End of chapter 2